Well, welcome into a brand new season of the Dream, Create, Enjoy podcast. I'm Drew Thurman, one of our teammates uh, here at Renaissance, and I am joined by our entire network team, which is exciting. Uh, I'm joined by Christine Lee. How's it going, Christine? Oh, it's going. Okay. Did you want me to say more? No, I was expecting a lot more, but yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, good. Sorry it's to good. disappoint. Yeah, yeah. We're starting this uh, this season off strong, uh, and I'm also joined by Fabricio Pice, straight live from East Boston, Massachusetts, best neighborhood in the city. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't disappoint. I was really hoping that was going to be your intro. And again, he's out of uh, purgatory after our uh, last season. Jace Rashi, how's it going, Jace? I made, I got promoted. Appreciate it. Appreciate the call back up. Spent some time in the minor league. You know, <laughs> this is on a tr- this is a trial basis, yeah. Jace. Just yeah. to be clear, yeah, yeah. Don't mess yeah. It up. I was a little, I was a little busy last year. You know, we launched a business, which I was just came from a city council meeting regarding that business. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I'm glad to be back and be part of the. Yeah, we're glad we're glad you're you're back on. Uh, And again, like I said, we're going to talk more about this in a bit, but we're kicking off a brand new season uh, and you're going to be hearing a lot from us and, you know, probably a few other voices, but mostly the four of us in some iteration throughout this season. Uh, And we're going to be talking a lot about doing shared life and community. I'll get more. We'll get more after that in a bit. But uh, as we're kicking this off, we're talking about this. Uh, I'm a little scared the ch- of how this is going to get off the rails and that if no one's going to want to listen to us by the end, because if anyone knows our text thread and our Slack thread, it goes off the rails. I'm pretty sure today we talked for hours about Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, <laughs> so- actually, that was the best because I didn't know we all had a shared love for Queen Kelly. We did. Pretty sure I started with the Katy Perry drop, though. Let's just okay. Yeah, I don't <laughs> like her how as this much. all started. Yeah, me either. I like her as much, but yeah. Kelly Clarkson's prime for me. So, and so we've got all the way is... from that to the Vikings covering, <laughs> traveling east and <laughs> taking over the Slavic people. So you know that's yeah. that's, the that's, of that's my contribution to our text thread. And so this is actually perfect because. That's my question. What are the chances that this is going to be completely off the rails and no one's going to listen to this by the end of the season? 100%. No, because if you like Kelly Clarkson, you'll stay in. You'll stay in for I the guess. I guess. Actually, <laughs> I think you're and right. We I think won't let Drew stay. spend too much time talking about the Vikings. Don't worry. Yeah, I will, we I, can't I, have too much of that. After this, there's no, there will be no reference to Norse culture after this, I promise. So Okay. I think this is going to be much like Christine's trash reality tv shows where you never know what's going to happen and who's going to say what oh. why did you say trash like that that was kind of rude <laughs> i mean call it like i see it <laughs> you first you have to see it before you can call it and you won't watch my show so love is blind Christine. okay okay <laughs> well i think uh yes if anyone's actually still with us yes the chances are a hundred percent that we'll probably lose some people in the process but we're gonna have a lot of fun um, and I think you can already sense how much we just love hanging out with each other and talking. And that's going to be a big theme of what we're going to be, uh, talking a little bit about in introing, uh, right after, uh, right after the intro. 
Welcome into the Dream, Create, Enjoy podcast. This podcast is an extension of Renaissance. We're a family of micro churches around the greater Boston area. We dream together of God using every kind of person to create communities of unconditional belonging who enjoy the freedom found in the life Christ offers us. Every episode, we'll explore themes related to starting and sustaining those types of communities and what it means to be the church in our unique cultural moment. To find out more about us, head to wearerenaissance.org. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy the episode. Well, as we referenced at the beginning, we are kicking off season four of this podcast. Uh, If you're just um, jumping in for the first time, or maybe you've listened previously in the past and you don't remember, um, just to quickly uh, surmise where we've been, our first season, which was several years ago, was just Jason and myself talking. It was a lot of theory. Uh, we were just walking out a big picture vision of Renaissance and what our aspirations were, why we were kind of shifting paradigms to a different kind of model of being decentralized and doing microchurch. We then went into season two and walked through our 10 essential values and walked out each of those and what they meant to us. Still a lot of theory, uh, but we're just kind of laying the groundwork of what we were already experiencing in our first couple of microchurches and what we were hoping as Renaissance grew. And then in our last season, we really jumped into what does it look like to actually be a missional practitioner joining God in our neighborhood? And we heard from a number of voices around our Renaissance community, um, all about what it meant um, to actually be a missional practitioner, what they were learning as they were joining God, where they lived, work, uh, studied, or played. And so now we're actually shifting and we're going to be talking about the realities of shared life in a microchurch community. What happens when you actually start getting people to show up? What does it look like to live as a spiritual family, trying to live out the way of Jesus together? I um, think we're going to be asking questions of like, what does it look like to push past the fa- you know uh, the facades that we like to place with each other um, and other forms of the church, or maybe even in other smaller forms that we've experienced, maybe if you've ever been in a church small group or something, and actually have true intimacy and growth in our life in Christ. Um, so there's a lot of themes that we're going to get to. This episode, we're laying out kind of the groundwork for that, laying the foundation for everything you're going to be hearing in this season. And it all actually sparked, this whole idea came from a text that uh, Fabricio texted us in our group thread that we affectionately call Lean White Sneaks, um, which is basically, I think, because Fab... um, you know, fun bullied us all into buying Vejas. And so we just named our group thread Lean White Sneaks. And it was something he texted in that group that sparked it all. So no need for me to keep talking. Fab, I'd love for you just to explain what you texted and what the inspiration behind that was. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just so everybody knows, Lean White Sneaks was a typo on my part. I was trying to text Clean White Sneaks. And then I... <laughs> dropped the C somehow. And then Christine immediately proceeded to rename our text thread to Lean White Sneaks with a profile picture of the Vasia sneakers. So just in case anybody needed to know the, the, the history behind the Lean White Sneaks thread. And Jace, um, by the way, how many times ty- how many times have you wore your Vasias total now? Three. Uh, you know, that's not important. I'm trying to keep them nice and clean. 
clean and uh, lean. You know, clean and lean. So a handful also, of times. Can we talk about how we were all supposed to match wearing them in Florida, but then Drew was too cool for us. And he's like, oh, my feet get hot. That's why I can't match with you. Already going off the rails. I haven't even shared my answer. And here we go. Yeah, he went on and bought some Vans. Like, completely ruined the vibe. Anyways. So. So something to know about our... I think you need to understand this, this text thread that we've got going on with each other to to understand where my thought process was in the text that I sent over. But, um, you know, we, we try to communicate almost daily, I would say sometimes at least daily, but there are days where we're pretty busy and it's really just about anything and everything going on in our lives from, from silly things to including memes or, you know, weird videos that I've, find on Instagram that the algorithm sends to me that happens to be the perfect video for all of us to watch um, to testimonies about what's happening in our neighborhood or maybe God encounters we've had that day to prayer requests to struggles um, I'll just speak for myself there's been moments where I have felt convicted and I have confessed and repented um, in our text thread, you know, uh, maybe to our group or of something that I did in my everyday life that I said, hey, friends, this was not okay. And I need you guys to know that. And I need to make it right. Um, so it really just covers every aspect of our lives, to be honest. And, you know, one day we were texting and I, and, and I just had this thought come to my mind where I said, you know, if the if the shared life that we have in our text and by the way in case everybody doesn't know which you probably don't we don't all live close to each other christine lives in new hampshire about an hour away um drew and jace are in waltham which is on a good day i can make it in 25 minutes from eastie but generally it's probably like 45 50 minutes at least could be even worse depending on the traffic um so, you know, we're, we're, we're separated um, physically. So, so this text thread keeps us, keeps us close and keeps us, you know, in relationship with each other where, where we can't do that with proximity. Um, and I said, I wish and I hope and pray that um, every microchurch in Renaissance can have the type of community transparency grace love forgiveness that we have in our text thread and if somehow we could replicate this or talk about this and it would be of use to other people that i thought it really would be something um beautiful and worthwhile for other other folks so i'll pause there because i don't want to steal all the thunder christine jace you can chime in on your thoughts about our text thread and kind of what i said there that day Yeah, I think for me, it's been, I really resonated with you shared there. And I think, as I was thinking about it, one thing that sticks out to me so much is that not only like the physical distance between um, where we all live, but our friendships are like relatively new. Like I have really close friends outside of you guys, hate to break it to you, you're not my only friends, but I do feel like we've gotten really close 
and not in a like Bible camp way where it's like <laughs> we got really close for a week and then like I'll never talk to you again but it was nice um and I really do feel like you the three of you genuinely know and understand who I am and not just like in the good things like in my frailties and my failures and my propensities to sin and like and I'll just speak for myself of some of the things I'm walking through with a church case that of allegations I made like that's been a very big complicated painful point for me and at the same time to know I have like these three men that have come into my life in the last two years that I feel like I can run things by and that have my best interests at heart and feel like brothers and is so meaningful to me and I trust your wisdom and I trust that I don't know like I think a lot of times in friendships especially like friendships you form in adulthood it's just around like common interests or common goals and to me these friendships really do feel like the common interest the common goal is following Jesus which is so fascinating that it then touches on all these other aspects of life including like silly memes and like funny things we see throughout the day or things we find beautiful and I think that's been really grounding of like oh yeah this is what church is supposed to be like it shouldn't be relegated to this one section of your life where you can only talk about the stuff that feels really spiritual or it's only in this window of time where we gather in this really specific way but church is supposed to permeate life and it's supposed to be a safe haven for however you're showing up and whatever you're trying to figure out and that somehow God's presence can touch you through these people that claim to know him and follow him as you're trying to as well. So I think that's, that's what really resonated with me when you sent that text. Yeah. I, I echo all that. Um, and I'll just add on a little bit. I, you know, one of the things for me that I think is interesting is that, you know, it's a, it's a text thread and it, we're not, close to each other but I think after you said that I was like yeah what is it like what why why do I feel that way um and I think that there's a lot of reasons I think one of them is what Christine just said of, is that we share everything and some is silly and some is fun and some is, it's, it's it's all of us it's we're sharing every aspect of us in that thread we're not holding back um and I think you can't have one without the other if you just have a a group when you're only talking about spiritual things that's great I'm not discounting that but you're missing out on our humanity and that's a lot of who we are and the wholeness of that. And so I think that's part of it. And I think the other part, um, and I've been a part of a lot of groups, but I think in that one that, that makes this one special and helps to foster that is just the level of trust that everyone has with one another. Um, as I reflecting back, you know, not that in other groups that there's not trust. I just think that there's an exceptional level of trust between the four of us that, that makes it us feel like it truly is a safe space. I think we say that a lot in other places, like we want to, we, and that's what our goal, we're trying to strive for that and to create a safe space for people. But I think depending on who's there, the dynamics of the group, some of those just can't get to that same place. And I think um, that we've been able to do because we've created that safe space and that level of trust that we can share things and know that other people are going to tell us truth, but do so in love and, and out of a, out of a care for us. Um, and I, th- I just think that it's so hard to get to in, in a group a lot of times. Um, and I know we're going to talk about that later, but those, that's what, when you, when you shared that, that was, those are the things that were percolating in my mind um, about what, why we're able to, to reach that level of community. 
No, that's really good. Well, and I, yeah, yeah, it is so much fun. I think that's part of it. Like the, you are people that I want to talk to and hang out with, um, you know, and we laugh a lot. I mean, I can remember, you know, fab sending some things that, you know, made me laugh and it's like late at night and Brie got mad at me because I was giggling so much that I woke her up would let her sleep. So yeah, we, we have a lot of fun, but yeah, there is a level of, and again, we're going to, we're going to hit on these themes in this, this whole season. Um, but <laughs> sorry, Christine's throwing, throwing things in the chat and making me laugh as I'm trying to talk right now, but, um, we're going to talk a lot about how trust and intimacy gets created in this season later on beyond just, you know, um, this episode, but yeah, I do think, yeah, there's a level of trust that's been created. And ultimately, like I, I would say my natural disposition personally, I don't love necessarily letting people in. Um, and you know, there's some, some reasons I think probably I've developed that in, from my past and being a preacher's kid and, you know, learning that, you know, people want to use things against you, but I really love, like, I think this group, uh, everyone pushed beyond my comfort zone and you know sometimes it was joking but then eventually like you know even holding me accountable or calling me out for things that you know and some, and even sometimes even being ticked off like i didn't want to hear that but also realizing the trust and the in intimacy was so is so there realizing like no i needed to hear that i needed someone to to say that to me and to, and i so i think that's part of it too it's like there is no faking it and even the things that are hard to hear are things that I think you look and you're like, no, these are people that care deeply about me and they really know me. Um, so like the feedback that they're giving me isn't, you know, a lot of times when people try to hold you accountable, it's like, you don't really know the real me or whatever else, but that's not true in this group. So I think there's all that that's going on. So there is this joy that's there, but also because you're really seen and really known, I think it, it, it draws us in. I think it helps, helps you keep coming back and wanting um, to lean in and ask, you know, for discernment or bare your soul. Um, because the more that that happens, the more that you're seen and known and loved and cared for, the more that you strive to continue to be in a space that that's, that's happening. Yeah. I think listening to y'all reflect, it makes me think about how I feel like whenever we're talking, there's like a hundred percent honesty with 0% of desire to control other people. So I think that like, I know I can always ask you guys what you think and you will tell me exactly what you think, but I don't ever feel like you're telling me that because you're trying to control me or if I choose to do something different, or if I choose to disagree that I'm going to be punished or that's going to be held against me. And I think that what you were saying about accountability, Drew, really made me think of that of a lot of times in Christian community, when we start getting like vulnerable and we talk about accountability, which I think are good things, it really becomes this weird game of like cat and mouse power and control of like, now that I've gotten enough information, I'm going to use that in a way to make you do certain things when there's like a clash. And I just never sense that from you guys. I feel like I'm always free to make my own decisions. I believe you guys want what's best for me. I believe you'll tell me what you actually think. And I think you'll still respect me even if we think differently. And I think that creates such a huge sense of safety and that I can keep showing up even after we've had some disagreements or even if I'm like, oh, I thought totally different from you from that. But I don't feel afraid to re-enter the conversation because I never feel like, oh, they're going to come for me and be like, well, you didn't arrive at the same conclusion I did. So you're a bad, you know, like, I think I really appreciate that. And I think that that hits on two of the, 
I think that they're uh, among all of us. I don't, I don't want to be the one to say it for all of us, but I think that there's a humility there too of, of just saying, "Hey, listen, this is this is who I am. This is where I'm at. Uh, take it or leave it." It's it's not a like a, I know what's best for you. It's it's this is what's on my heart, and I think that that I think that the humility shines through and even just our interactions too of just you know I don't you know we we all have the posture of I don't know what's best for you. I can tell you what I feel and what I think God is sensing in me but but you've got to be able to discern that for yourself i think that that's a key component too of, of what makes the group special yeah and you, you've all touched on this but you know vulnerability transparency honesty that's hard work um it's scary right it's scary for me to text you guys something when i'm like i just did a really crappy thing guys this is something I said to someone who I care about that I shouldn't have said. Um, but I, you know, I, you know, we talk about refiner's fire in the Bible. Like you guys are the refiner's fire in my life that when I share those things that you have grace and you have love and you could still say, Hey fab, that really wasn't cool. You're right. You know, but still be there to help me um, walk through those things and to, and to, to come out on the other side, looking more like Christ. Um, and, and, and that's kind of, kind of why I shared that text, just kind of bring this back to the text, but, you know, thinking back in my, in my life, I have had relationships and I still do that, that are similar to this, um, but none of them happen in the church building or any church program per se. Um, it, it happens similar to us where, you know, you, you, you're in proximity with people and you love and you care about them and you um, it's all, I, I mean, I'm an overshare, I, you know, people who may not know, like I just say anything and everything. So in this group, I'm the one who's saying ridiculous stuff. That's like everybody's cringing for good or for bad, you know. So sometimes I like to think I, I help pull it out of people too, just by being so nonsensical that everybody else can like move up a step and it doesn't seem as crazy as the stuff I'm saying. So it's a safe space for everyone, but just how unsafe I am with my words, I guess. Um, but, you know, this is special in the sense that since, since thinking about decentralized church and like, you know, so much of what I've talked about is relationship and proximity to people. And I, I can say for, for sure that even in a lot of those relationships in the past, personally, the confession level was not the same. And I'm, I'm touching on this because I really think it's important because it, it, it gets to what Drew was talking about earlier too, about really being known, you know, who exactly am I? Not the facade, not the like worship guy or the youth leader guy, or that does all the things in the church guy, like who is fab exactly? You know, what are the things he says that he probably shouldn't say? Like you guys know that stuff. Um, and, and, and in that, that's where in, in being known, that's where, God does his best work, you know? Um, so. Yeah, I think that's really good. And I think um, we're, we're kind of all touching on it. I think it's something that we're hinting at. 
but you know i think a lot of us um you know have have realized that you know, well one many of us have not experienced this this in other christian or church spaces that we've been in you know i think actually the church is guilty of a lot of like weird social um you know forms that they're trying to force everyone in these social experiments that they're they're asking people to join and figure things out without any of the tools um, but we've also realized, I think, as we're growing up as a movement, that you know a lot of what we talked about in our early days was just mission and missional approaches to creating connections, doing life with people who are maybe far from God or or need to kind of um, you know we need to disrupt what they think about church or or Christianity, which is and now all that's still true. That's still there, and that's still a lot of work and it's a lot of heavy lifting, but. There's a whole new set of problems and learnings that take place once you start inviting people into community. Um, and now, uh, you know, people with with all of their own joys and pains and struggles and successes and everything all come walking into our doors and sitting around our tables. And uh, it's it's not easy to. And so, again, going back to what Fab said, you know, we're wanting all of our micro churches. And that's why we're talking about this to experience uh, deeper levels of intimacy so that they can, uh, in doing so, move towards Jesus together. But I would love, I'd be interested to hear, like, you know, if any examples you can think of as you've, like, over the last couple of years, like, the, like the light bulb's gone on, like, wow, community building is actually a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. You know, I thought all the hard work was just like doing life in my neighborhood. And then all of a sudden now I'm realizing, no, especially I think stripped of what Christine was saying earlier we we probably are we're trying to work towards polycentric leadership but in rejecting um hierarchy often it, sometimes we we start with almost flat leadership so we're always like i don't want to step on anybody's toes i don't want you to feel like you're being controlled i want there to be a safe space and yet at the same time oh my goodness now like how do we create a community a stripped of power structures that we've we've used to be the reason the way that we've we've created um community so i'd just be fascinated um christine jace fab any of you like it, it, any examples you can think of over the last couple of years of of seeing this played out well i think one of the things that comes to mind it was actually said by somebody in um our microchurch manchester project um yesterday and they were just talking about how it feels like, you know, in church, people will say you can be in process, but you really can't unless you're going to arrive at the answer they wanted for you from the beginning, <laughs> you know? And when they put it like that, I was like, oh yeah, like that, I 1000% resonate with that. And I think one thing I've learned, you know, being a part of a micro church in a more sustained way is that if you're really going to let people be in process, it's just going to feel kind of uncomfortable a lot, like, because there isn't a nice sense of resolution. Like, and sometimes you're like, I really don't know where this is going. Like, I have hopes for it. Like, I want to show up present and attentive. But that like living on that line where you're like, I'm going to let someone be in process and I have hopes, but I'm not going to coerce. I'm not going to control. I'm not going to manipulate like, it just means a lot of it just feels like this weird middle ground of like, can I manage this tension of like, I don't know. I don't know where this is going. I don't like, and it's not programmatic, right? Because it is so much about just continuing to create presence for relationship. 
and for the questions to maybe like for a thousand questions to be asked without giving one clear cut answer. I find that that's been a lot of my experience in our in our microchurch that like I really love but make me really uncomfortable where we'll have discussions where I'm like, I think everyone asked a really hard question tonight and I don't think anyone gave an answer to any of them, which is like, you know, like I know my mind is okay, it's good, but it doesn't feel good. It just feels like, okay, like that was that was a discussion. <laughs> and and I don't I don't think like at the start of this, I would have known that a lot of it feels like discomfort. Like it's good, but it just feels like discomfort. It doesn't feel it you don't feel that relief, you know, like whereas I think in the in the older paradigm that I'm used to, so much of it is about letting people be in process. I'm using quotes, but really you're stringing them along, leading them towards a very specific answer. And so even if they don't get to the answer that day, you have relief knowing what the end is going to be for them. And when you really take that away, I'm like, wow, I just feel like I'm playing limbo all the time and my back hurts. I think, uh, no, that's really good, Christine. I think one of the things that I've noticed, um, you know, after trying to do this for a while now, um, is just that it's, it's hard to build community when there's varying levels of commitment from people, I think. Um, and not always like of their own, like choosing sometimes the people's capacities are just different or they're not, not unable to commit for whatever reason, or sometimes they just aren't choosing to commit. But I think when you have different levels of commitment, you know, one of the things we've heard from, from the beginning is like the priesthood of all believers and really wanting input, right. Mutuality. And it's hard when there's not the same level of commitment from everyone in the group that you're trying to build community with, um, because then you're just always, it, it feels like you're constantly like either leaving people out or leaving people behind, or they're not, someone's missing out on something. And so I think that that's the hardest part. One of the hardest things that I've noticed as we're trying to do this with people um, and build community is just how do, how do you, how do you do with the different levels of commitment from people that people are able to give and how do you still build community with them and I think I don't have an answer for that yet we're still trying to figure that one out but I think I think in a lot of ways it's, it's splintered there's different levels of community within the group and um, you know it's almost the least common denominator thing that like the whole group has, has one level of community but then there's kind of little branches um, in in the groups and so that would be one of the, the struggles or things that I've noticed is, as we've been going is just the trying to to get buy-in and build community when there's varying levels of commitment from people um and that's just been a struggle i don't think that that's going to go away i don't think that that's magically a fixable answer but um there's definitely a, a tension to hold and a struggle yeah i would just echo what you said jace uh, community sounds really great theoretically until you're in a room with me and I'm like oversharing and bullying you into oversharing as well. Right. Um, but in all seriousness, I think that it, it could feel overwhelming for people who may not, maybe they've never had that sense of closeness or openness or you know vulnerability in any situation, forget about church in their family. It, it could be, you know, anywhere. Right. They've never encountered that. And it's, um, it could be a lot. 
So I think it's a, it's a catchphrase we, we, we've said in the, lar- in the church, in the greater church, Big C Church for a long time, right? Oh, we want a relationship. We want to develop community. But I don't know, when the rubber hits the road, um, sometimes people hit the road, you know, and they're like, I'm out. This is too much for me. And that's okay. You know, I, no judgment. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I would just say that it could be uncomfortable, you know, and, and, and it doesn't quite, it's not all roses and daisies and butterflies. Right. And people like, uh, you know, people, we talked about safety or feeling safe. People, it might take some people longer to, to get there. Maybe they really do want community. And it's just for whatever reason, it's, it takes some people in the group longer. And I think, you know, that's an aspect of it too. Yeah, I think you guys nailed it. And yeah, I I would just say too, I think, and this is part of the reason we're going to be walking out some of these themes. I think we're pushing past, I think Fab, you alluded to it, what most of us have ever experienced in our lives. So we're we're learning, we're going to have to learn together. Um, We're going to be kind of going beyond what most of us have ever experienced in our lives. And so that's that's, um, nerve wracking and scary. It's going to cause conflict. We're going to have to find resolution. We're going to have to feel uncomfortable. We'll have to communicate in ways we've never communicated before. Um, I th- often think of um, Hofstede's cultural dimension scale. We're the most individualistic culture on the planet by far. Um, so all of a sudden to teach people, you know, we're having, as much as we're teaching people how to get to Jesus, we're actually having to teach how to live in community. I don't think people know how to form friendships. I don't think we know how to 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 draw in and do life together in the same way that maybe previous generations in our culture have, or even people in other places in our, in, in our globe. So, um, and that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about in this season. Um, and uh, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we want to walk out this uh, problem just a little bit more and lay the groundwork of what it's going to look like um, for us to really live life into community and just briefly touch on some of the themes that we're really excited to walk out more in depth right after the break. Well, we are going to finish this episode, walking this out just a little bit more in depth. We've talked a little bit about it. And to kind of do so and kind of uh, prime the pump, I wanted to kind of, I was alluding to the fact that we're having to uh, learn some things that we might not have ever experienced before. And I really appreciate one of my uh, favorite books on this subject from is from Christine Pohl, who um, just, just passed away actually recently, but called Living into Community. She's written a couple of other great books on community building as well. Uh, but this one in particular has has always really uh, resonated with me, been great for me. Um and she hits on this theme in it. I'm sure we're going to be quoting her in some later episodes as well. Uh, but this is what she says. I want to read this and get your get your take on it. She says, the ways we've been formed by church and culture have not given us the skills or virtues we need to be part of the very communities we long for and we try to create. While we might want community, it is often community on our terms with easy entrances and exits, lots of choice and support, and minimal responsibilities. We kind of alluded to that in the first part. Mixed together, this is not a promising recipe for strong and lasting communities. 
When I've asked students and friends to describe an experience of community, they often tell stories about a time of intense emotional bonding with a group of people, a weekend retreat that was deeply affirming, a camping trip with friends, or a short-term mission project where participants began to feel like family. Such experiences of community tend to be brief, occasional, and intense. Communities in which uh, we grow and flourish, however, last over time and are built by people who are faithful to, no to one another and committed to a shared purpose. Community life certainly has moments of incredible beauty and intense personal connection, but much of it is daily and ordinary. I love that. Our lives are knit together, not so much by intense feelings as by shared history, tasks, commitments, stories, and sacrifices. But communities need more than shared history and tasks to endure. A combination of grace, fidelity, and truth makes communities safe enough for people to take the risks that are necessary for growth and transformation. The same combination makes it possible for groups to handle disagreements without being torn apart and to minister to the world in ways that are far greater than the sum of the individuals involved. Shaped and sustained by gratitude, such communities grow by making room for others, whether friends, or strangers. It's great passage there. Number of themes that we've already hit on, but probably said uh, maybe just a little bit more eloquently, uh, thanks to an editor. Um, but I would just be fascinated as we're kind of continuing this conversation, diving a little bit deeper. What resonated uh, with you from from what she said? I just want to make it clear that all the points we made prior to this section of our podcast was not because we read this uh, little paragraph here and it tainted our opinions. I was just thinking the same thing. I was like, man, this is really good. Like this is some of the stuff we were just talking about. <laughs> I had no idea it was coming. Yeah. I'd like to say that I, all the thoughts I had were my own, but yeah, they probably, a lot of them, I actually, I don't know if any of you've read the book. I actually have to cite her as a source. So the rest of your, you can, Go ahead and clear the air, but I I can't. So yeah, but I appreciate that. No, I mean I'm just kidding, kind of. Um, but you know the thing that stood out to me, and this stands out to me in this current season. I think even for Renaissance, is because we've been touching on this concept of the mundane. Was was the part you called out, Drew? Where community life certainly has its moments of incredible beauty and intense personal connection but much of it is daily and ordinary. There is so much ordinary that has to happen for community to be built. And um, that takes time, that takes sacrifice. I know further down it kind of alludes to all those things, but that's one of the, one of the topics that, that we've, we've felt God speaking to us as a team, that we've heard our are the leaders at Renaissance and microchurch leaders sharing as well, where it's about being present day in and day out, you know, just living life. That's something I've been wrestling with. Like, what is it, you know, how much in just living life is God being a part of that? Um, is community being built in that? Yeah. So, uh, just, I, I want to touch on the mundane part because I think it's so vital to what we do in, in a microchurch context where we're, it, nothing is going to happen quickly. There isn't going to be mega growth, or at least, you know, there, there could be, but 
Um, I guess I'll just question some of the mundaneness that's going on when that's happening. And maybe it should lead to a little bit of pause, for example, to think about how much of just everyday things are we doing. But that that was the the quote that stood out to me the most the first time I read it and just hearing Drew read it again, where it's just, yeah, reinforces what, what the spirits put on our hearts to, to really pray about and think about and live out. Yeah, I would, um, the right, the sentence right before that, I, some of the same stuff we've been talking about, but just um, communities in which we grow and flourish are built by people who are faithful to one another and committed to a shared purpose. So we've already mentioned on those. And then later on, um, it says, you know, a combination of grace, fidelity, and truth makes communities safe enough for people to take the risks that are necessary for growth. And I think that that's, something i mean we we talked about the safety but you you want to create the safety so that you can take risks that are necessary for growth and i think that that's that's the thing that we were alluding to earlier and that we all feel like we have here is that we can take those risks we can say the thing that we've you know we can repent like Papa said earlier we can say the thing that um we're unsure you know what kind of reaction it's going to get but i'm going to take that risk because i feel safe um and i think that that's just super key uh to all this too yeah, kind of along with that, I mean, a few sentences later, it says that that combination of grace, fidelity, and truth is the same combination that makes it possible for groups to handle disagreements without being torn apart. And I think that's the part really stick that sticks out to me, especially as we talk a lot about our microchurches becoming spiritual families. And I think one of the things that I've struggled with moving from like a traditional paradigm to this new paradigm is recognizing how often the language of family gets used with church and a lot of that makes sense, right? Because it's in scripture. But I also don't think we, as in the traditional paradigm, wrestle at all of the implications of that, of the traditional paradigm is not structured like a family. <laughs> it's structured a lot of times like uh, 401k corporate organization. Like, and I don't want, you know, like, I don't want my family to feel like I'm working at Fidelity Investments, like as great of a company that might be. And I think on the other side of that, we also have to recognize that each of us come from very different families of origin. And I think that comes out even more so in a microchurch setting because you are just like face to face with other people. And we know that one of the places that that I think one of the most tender, sensitive spots about the ways we deal with our family of origin is the way we deal with disagreement, right? Like, some of us have, have way more avoidant personalities. Some of us are very aggressive, assertive. Some of us, you know, like there's just a whole wide range in between those two labels. And so we're carrying that into our new spiritual families, whether you're in the traditional paradigm or trying to do a microchurch. But I think to most of us don't know what it means to disagree and not be torn apart, especially I think in the social political environment we're currently into, which I think exacerbates that. And so I, that for me really stands up. How do we become communities where this isn't just something that's like nice to ascribe to, but we're actually developing space to disagree and to do it in a way that's respectful, unifying, Christ-like, um, and that in some ways redeems and heals probably a lot of our families of origin stories. I, I think that you're never really going to get that from a programmatic level. You're never going to learn how to be a good 
father, son, daughter, brother, sister, mother from something that's structured like a company. You can't. Um, I don't I don't know if you've read the Bible, Christine, but there's nothing to disagree on. The Bible is pretty clear on every single thing we should think and how we should live our okay. lives. Okay. Well, and actually to that point, Fab, I was that was going to be my thought. You know, she talked about the old paradigm. I love that you mentioned that. We we have this sacred secular divide, and so often in the traditional paradigm. And so I, you know, most of the community building we do in the church, small groups, Bible studies, etc. It's let's just read the word of God together and we'll we'll have it figured out. Everything will make sense. So, and in fact, all this other stuff, that's not important because that's your, you know, it's almost like this disconnect from who we really are. Um, I, I mean, we've all been there. I can't tell you how many small groups and Bible studies I've been to that only talk in third person. Like nobody actually talks in first person. It's all hypothetical. And so it's it's a thought exercise through the text. Um, but it's this, still this thing, well, I got some information and these people are nice enough. We read, you know, but there's never that, there's never that deep level. And we wonder why the church wonders now, we wonder why we have this massive discipleship problem and people, you know, you'll hear, oh, we just need to get back to the word. No, we've actually have more access to scripture, more access to Bible tools, uh, more access, you know, to information than any culture in the history of mankind. So for all of our Bible reading and for all of our Bible studies and for all of our devotionals and everything else, we're not actually looking more like Jesus. And it's because we there's an utter disconnect from the text to our lives and realizing that we're actually going to have to let people into our lives. We're going to actually have to have conflict. We're going to have to have vulnerability. We're going to have to have the difficulty part of all of this to start to be formed. All of its theory, you know, I think about this sometimes like, the fruit of the spirit. How many times have we heard someone preach through those? Uh, it's a whole nother thing. It's like, well, yeah, love is patient. Love is kind. Love, you know, great. What's well, a whole nother thing when I actually live in community and I actually have to practice that with people who test my patience, who I don't want to be kind to, you know, who, you know, um, you know, yeah, like you, we can just go on down the list down those. So I, I love that you mentioned that fab because I think the Bible is a cop out for us often into the depths of community building um, and an excuse to not do it the way we should be doing it. Well, and that, that quote, you know, right at the beginning, she says, we might want community, but it's often on our terms with easy entrances and exits and minimal responsibilities. You know, and I think that that, that is so true. And that's exactly the thing that we're saying is that it, it takes sacrifice, right? Like you're Christine, you're talking about being part of family, like being part of family means you sacrifice. You have to do things you don't want to do. Like, you're committed to them. I don't always like my family. I'm not, I don't always want to be around them all the time. <laughs> I mean, not my family, my family's great. But yeah. Sorry, Jason's family. General. If you're listening, he's not talking about you. <laughs> hypothetical about you. family. Hypothetical that's family. Somewhere else. I'm third you're person right. hypothetical. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, but, but there's this, it, you have to sacrifice like, but I love you. I made a commitment and I'm going to do this thing. And it's not always, not every day is going to be great. And I think that, that we, you have to push, there's this like, but it, it happens in every group, but you've got to push past that thing. And you, like, you have to get to the point where you can just, you don't have, not everyone has to be having a great day every time you're together. And that's okay. You know, there's, there's going to be highs and lows. You're going to go through the ebbs and flows. And sometimes people are going to annoy you and sometimes they're going to be your best friend. And I think that, but it requires that sacrifice. And if it's always on your terms and it's 
that's just a selfish form of community is really what it is. It's I want this when it benefits me, but I'm not willing to contribute to the group for the good of everyone else. I just want what I can get from it. And I think that that is evident in all of our culture right now. Um, but I, and I think it permeates everything that we're doing in our groups too, is that we have to push past that and get to a, a level of, I'm going to contribute to this group, even if I don't get anything out of it this time, because when, it, when I do need something out of it, I know that these people are going to be there for me. I love that you share that Jace about if I'm not having a good day, um, since, you know, I am the king of transparency and vulnerability. Here we go. There have been Wednesday nights where I've, just been having a rough week a rough weeks rough month and i'm like emmaus is going to get the worst of me tonight and i'm sorry for that but i I tell kem you know my wife and i'm like i hate that they're going to get a grumpy miserable bostonian short brazilian angry guy but that's the that is the best i can give and they know like it's clear to be, you know, I'm not having a great day. And you know what? They don't even, I've, there's been so many tender moments where you know, we'll be having dinner and, and they'll just try to break the ice for me. You know, I'm yelling at the kids like more than I normally do, but, but somebody will, will just try to diffuse that for me, you know, whatever I'm going through and, and I'll share and I'll, I'll be like, guys, I'm sorry, guys, gals, I'm sorry. You know, it's just been rough. You know, I'm just not in a great mood today. Um, but we push through. You know, we don't cancel because I'm having a bad day or whatever. Like, I come as I am. And it's not always fun. It's not always the best me. But it's but that's also so vital to being in community, right? That's me arguing with Drew and Jace about the Boston Celtics over and over during the playoffs. And they're like, what is his problem? And I'm just being a crazy guy on the text thread. And then finally I'm like, guys, I think something's wrong. Like I'm not doing all right. And then you're like, yeah, that's probably right. You're being a little outrageous, but I'm, I'm, you know what I'm I mean? Glad you brought, I'm glad you brought up the Celtics that I almost did earlier. I mean, I, I, again, I'll bring it up. I don't care. You know, like, um, but that's just a, a silly example though, of like where real life is interfering. It is getting mixed into day-to-day stuff. And, we're all disagreeing about sports and all have our opinions. And Drew's thinks he invented basketball and Jace thinks he's cause he's from Indiana that he knows everything about basketball. And meanwhile, we have 17 banners. So it is what it is. And then there's those of us that don't care. Literally every time they start texting about sports, I like mute the channel. I'm like, call me when you need me, which is not now. But I think like to what you're saying, Fab, I think something that it made me think about is how important it is that these spaces are where every person can bring their full self and there's true mutuality. I was reading a stat. I can't remember the percentage, but it's like in the 70, 70% of pastors don't feel like they have any close friends, like no close friendships. And I do think there's something about the traditional paradigm that's like if you're a quote unquote leader you you have certain privileges that other people don't but you also don't get to be a real person like other people are and so I don't know if y'all have experienced this where you're like in a small group and like the small group leader 
for sure never has any like current struggles for sure isn't dealing with any sin in their life like it's just all these like past tense victory stories and like what do you what are your prayer requests for how you're a failure that I will pray for because I am the leader of this group um and I think something that's been really beautiful about being a part of microchurch for me is that I mean, sometimes I still feel it because I think that old muscle memory is so strong where I'm like, I can't like actually be honest about how I feel about this. But even like last night at our micro church, like we were, we were just talking about the chapter we were reading in Matthew. It was about the different soils parable. And I just like felt like I was like, I would be honest, like this past week I was avoiding God so much because I was so afraid I was going to be disappointed in what he had to say to me because I've been so disappointed in what I've heard from other Christians. And like, yeah, I, you know, like I'm the, one of the microchurch quote unquote leaders and that feels so not intuitive to be like, hello, I'm the leader, one of the leaders of this group. And guess what? I've avoided God the entire week. Isn't that cool? Let me lead this Bible study. Um, but I just, I also was like, no, like I need to really be known in this group. Like what, what do these verses mean? if I can't actually be honest about who God is and who God is to me and who I am before him. And if like all of this, like entering God's word is just performative. What like, that is the definition of empty religion. And I think so many of us are trying to escape that, but we end up when we choose not to be vulnerable in these spaces, we end up in the same space. Like we, we just end up performing what we think is right in spirituality instead of actually engaging God and engaging him through his people. I love, well, and I love that you referenced muscle memory. Cause I think what you're getting at Christine in that dichotomy is, you know, I've, I've experienced this and I know this is the story for so many people. We have been, we've been taught to, to, uh, you know, avoid being real. We've, hidden behind facades and most of us if we've ever like bared our souls or let people in often that's come at the hands of rejection so many of us are also overcoming and i think this is probably true for a lot of people in our in our micro churches and this is where i think a lot of church hurt and church trauma comes from is the the community you know we talk about grace and we talk about love and we talk about jesus accepting you and then when i really finally showed people who I was, I was instantly ostracized or pushed out of the community or told I couldn't do the X, Y, or Z. And so we're hungry for something. We long for it. I think again, that quote at the beginning, Christine Pohl talks about, and yet at the same time, we're fighting all this old muscle memory of rejection. And so literally there's these two twin forces at work in us this thing that's human nature that we so deeply desire that's this God-given thing, we're haunted by our past experiences. And that's not even just in religious communities. We've also faced this in other realms of our lives, you know, going back to probably elementary school. So, you know, I think I love that you're wrestling with that because I think the muscle memory deal is so hard for people um, and probably keeps us faking it and, and kind of hiding behind you know, um, these personas. Not to mention the fact that it's just, it's hard to push through when you get to something that's uncomfortable. I mean, no one, none of us likes to be uncomfortable. And when you get to that point where it's like, 
this is starting to get uncomfortable for me. A lot of, you know, our muscle memory or our experience tells us retreat, retreat. Like I need to stop sharing. Don't, don't go anymore or just give a little bit. And I think that's part of the being of community is sacrificing and pushing through that, knowing that it's worth it on the other side. Right. Like I I'm, I'm choosing to do this, you know, just the same way that I have to choose to, eat vegetables or choose to go to the gym. I'm not, it's not like I enjoy it. I don't enjoy it in the moment, but I enjoy the end result of it. You know, I, I, I enjoy the feeling after I go to the gym, it was uncomfortable. Right. But you know, it's not a perfect analogy, but I think that's the same thing of like, we say we want community, but a lot of times we get to that like point where it's like, Oh, this is a little uncomfortable. I think I'll just go back to, you know, how it was before instead of really leaning in. No, that's really good. Well, and I I want to keep us moving forward because we're we're about we we need to start wrapping up. But I would be also interested, Christine. You um, referenced, I think, already some of us using business language or management models, and I think that's another issue: is that most of the community building that we've done all relies on. I, I would actually say antiquated business practices. Often the, the the corporate world has actually moved well beyond, but it's like 1980s business world. And, yeah. Yeah. We're like using, using these very like old leadership models uh, to kind we of just got canceled. Didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did probably. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> 25 ways to build a greater blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 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 Um, but so, yeah, I think, uh, I, I'm I'm interested to hear, you know, I, I think they often fall short. I don't know about you. Often, I think the language um, and community kind of building. And again, we're going to get, we're, we're exposing a lot of the problem here. We're going to get to a lot of the solutions in future episodes. Uh, so there is good news to come. We're not just, um, you know, going to dunk on everything. But I would be interested. Have you also struggled like overcoming some of that old language and some, because I know I have, I think there's times where it's like, I want to default to how I've always built communities in the past using kind of the, the solo heroic leadership model um, or I, or being the expert or being the most proficient or the most organized, like all those things to try to create community rather than the messiness of, of transparency and honesty in real life. Yeah, I definitely feel like I I think as somebody who, you know, also in the old model used to speak and so is like proficient with using language to get people to do a certain thing, which I think it, there's like a time and place maybe, but I have felt a lot of tension of like, how do I not be someone that's just like, at the end of the day, I said a couple of things and made you feel a certain way. And so now you're doing what I want. And now we have like this facade of like, oh, this feels so good. We're doing so awesome, but it's not real. And I, I think even now, like I work at a great company in the tech industry and I love it. And we talk about community a lot. And I think even as I'm a part of a very healthy corporate setting, the, at, at the end of the day, community is for an agenda, which is the bottom line, right? Like, and you can't get around that. I don't think anyone would lie to you in business. And I, obviously the church has been guilty of that too, where it's like community for the sake of a bottom line. And I think that kind of goes back to some of our earlier conversations of like, what does it mean to be centered on Jesus in a way that can free us from every agenda? And I think that that's a really, really difficult thing to try to go after. 
and I also think like one thing I wrestle with is so much about community in business space, especially like the old white guy model, like of someone talking at you all the time is group consensus. Like the group has to look a certain way and fall in line. And I think one thing I've been learning in microchurch is like, do I believe Jesus is big enough that I don't have to work? I don't have to put all my energy towards trying to fight for group consensus. And that's, I think I'm learning. That is where community is really birthed. Like, I'll just give a really short, simple example. And I think this is so courageous of the people in our microchurch last night. So we were reading one of the parables and someone shares like, I actually, like, I don't really understand a lot of things that Jesus talks about, but the parables make sense to me. I really like them. And we had this like, you know, like 30 minute discussion about parables and blah, 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 blah. And then just out of nowhere, this other person comes and is like, I actually hate the parables. And I'm really frustrated that Jesus was just wasn't more straightforward. And like, and it was like so stark. And I was, and I like, it was just so interesting to me because I, I recognize growth in myself. Cause I think six months ago, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what are we doing? Like, are we fighting? Um, but it wasn't, it was just like, they had a different opinion the way they see the world. This doesn't speak to them in that way. And I also think my evangelical upbringing would be like, can we speak about the word of God like that? You know, like, but I think it, it emerged so beautifully of like both opinions and both wrestlings with the text produced a really productive wrestling with the whole group of like, why are the pair? Why did Jesus use parables? We spent 30 minutes on that. And then when this person was like, I wish Jesus was more straightforward. I don't understand that. We ended up talking about like, well, if Jesus was more straightforward, what would that mean for our praxis? Would any of us actually be better at following him? I don't know. He's pretty straightforward about some stuff and I still suck at doing whatever he's saying, you know, like, and it was really like such an amazing conversation on both ends. And it reminds me like, we need mutuality and that doesn't necessarily mean group consensus, but I think we oftentimes get that confused, especially because we're so influenced by corporate infrastructure where at the end of the day, it's about creating a clean brand, clean language where everyone looks and talks the same and the vision is really clear. Oh, vision leaks, didn't you know? Oh, I know. You know, uh, something you said, which I don't think I do a great job of, um, is, is is saying out loud that it's okay that we don't agree, all agree per se, right? Even in that moment being like, hey, we've all got this different point of view going on right now. That's okay. Like we can walk away from this and love each other and still be a spiritual family and still get along. And, you know, we have to trust that the Holy Spirit will bring us to him. However that is, whatever path that is, however that looks, it's not cookie cutter. It's not, you know, reproducing hamburger, you know, McDonald's hamburger that 700 million restaurants. Like that's not what's going on here. That's not even what Jesus called anybody to do. But in the name of saving every soul, we've tried to um, create, you know, singular lanes and, and now we've got all these denominations who have all figured it out in different ways they're all right but they're all wrong i don't know i don't even know what's going on there but um that it, actually in all seriousness that's almost what ha denominations are right you had these people who were together and then there was a disagreement on something like well i think i'm right i think i'm right now we're gonna split 
Rexion are going to stay together and work this thing out. We're going to split. We're going to create a new lane. And the focus is going to be this difference that we have, right? Instead of the similarities that we have, the shared love that we have. So I just fumbled into that one. That Here we go. That was That's the price of admission, folks. That's all I got. Um, I would, I would say I, I, I took a little bit different path than the three of you. I didn't really grow up in the evangelical, uh, world I, uh, I've, I've already shared before. Um, God most bless of my, you. yeah, God bless you. <laughs> yeah, I grew up Catholic and then I was really involved with young life, but, um, so I, I, and I also feel like I had a unique upbringing in, in that, um, I've had some really good, um, groups of community where I had some deep community, uh, with people, even in high school. Um, in college. And so I went to business school and I actually, you know, it was, it was through doing business school and learning all these corporate models and all this. And I was like, man, that ain't it. I've experienced what, what it is. And I think that, and so I, that's really what sparked me. Like, I don't think I can do business anymore. And so like, I got to find something else um, because I just don't think that this is the way. And so, um, you know, the, my roundabout way of getting there and then, and then really, you know, working for young actually for seven years, but um, just that, you know, it's really about that transparency and vulnerability and, and not about all the systems and the manufactured way of doing things of like, um, you know, it's just, it's just not the real thing. And I think once you've had the real thing, it's just, you want to fight for it and continue to strive for it because um, it is special. In the business world, anytime you have a hard conversation, you just go to HR and tell them, and then they tell whoever they have to tell. There's no direct yeah, yeah, you nailed it. Okay. <laughs> well, I think uh, I, I really appreciate what a lot of you are, you all are sharing about um, kind of falling short and kind of a reliance on, um, I think some of the themes that you're bringing out, like some of them, some of it, I think the underlying problem is, at least on the evangelical side, we rely a lot on knowledge. So it's, it's if I believe the right things, then I'm okay practices are very low it's 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 uh it's a series of propositions i have to accept and so fundamentally there's already there's there's an underlying current there that's going to always struggle with community building because it's not about wrestling through it's not truly i would actually argue it's not really about faith uh it's about certainty and so we just need everyone to be we need to all together uh you know, have homogeneity. We need to look the same way, act the same way, do the same things. We're going to be great. Um, and then on the flip side, I think Jace is getting at it. Like on the back door, when you've experienced, you know, practices organically of the, of the real thing, um, how can you, how can you experience anything else? And so I think that's really what we're going to be getting after. And a lot of the season as we're kind of wrapping up this episode, as we look ahead, we're going to be talking a lot about the fact that we're, what we're going to be getting after in this season is not just, Hey, we just want to get you in the paradigm shifting thinking. Like you just need to be all about community building. Cause I hear the community is one of those buzzwords that churches love to throw out. We really want to talk about what does it actually look like? We, we be practitioners of this. We're, we're striving to do this. We've all shared stories of this. And so what does it look like to actually work towards building community? What are some of the things that we're going to actually have to work at together um, and learn together um, so that we can begin to experience the sort of thing that we're after. And so I'm just going to read off some of these themes, but 
we're going to be talking about making and keeping promises um, as an underlying theme. Um, I'm going to try not to get on my soapbox on that one because I'm passionate about it. We're going to talk about living truthfully, experiencing conflict, and what does it look like to have reconciliation in the midst of that, walking through pain and burdens together, practicing hospitality, sharing leadership and accountability, uh, shared discipleship of our children. What does it look like to actually operate as a spiritual family in that way? How do we pray together uh, and have discernment together? And then ultimately, what does it look like to take steps towards transformation? So we're going to be hitting on a bunch of those themes this season, and uh, we're excited uh, for you to kind of hopefully go on this journey with us. Uh, I think we've we've addressed a lot of the problems, and I think we could have continued probably for the next hour talking about some of the things that have gone wrong or the places we've not experienced this. And we really want to take a turn uh, starting in our next episode of talking about what does it look like to build um, and practice these things. And again, I want to be clear even before we do, this is not a how-to guide. This is not... Um, I just tweeted about this. This is not spirituality as method. I don't think that's what we're after, but this is um, some practices towards embracing the messiness of community life and trying some things and letting God and the Holy Spirit work in the midst of that, uh, hopefully, so that we can begin to to act our way into a new way of thinking, not think our way into a new way of acting, if that makes any sense. So anyways, I want to thank you three for being honest and transparent, even on this call. Uh, even um, calling me out for believing I created basketball. Thanks, Fab, for that. Um, and uh, Dr. Are, Smith, is that yeah, your nickname? Yeah, that's that's actually <laughs> my middle name. I'm glad you you got it. So, uh, but we're excited. We're gonna have a lot of fun as this season goes on, as we continue to talk about community life. Uh, and again, feel free to reach out to us, uh, hub at wearerenaissance.org. If you've got questions, concerns, thoughts as we're engaging this. We'd love to throw those in and to uh, some of our kind of agendas for our future episodes. Uh, and again, if there's anything we can do, head to wearerenaissance.org to check out our movement uh, and everything we're about. Until next time, uh, we yeah, we hope to see you soon.